Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a choice before me. I've been in the middle of a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, but it is also Pentecost. Should I stubbornly stick with my series, or should I interrupt it and preach on Pentecost? And I decided to stubbornly stick with my series, but try to preach a Pentecost sermon from the Third Commandment. So the sermon text this morning is the third word in Exodus 20. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you have revealed your name. You revealed your name to your people Israel on Sinai. You revealed your name as Father, Son, and Spirit climactically on this day when you poured out the Spirit of your Son upon your church. We pray that we would bear that name well before the world and so fulfill the mission that you've called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pentecost is the fulfillment of what happens at Mount Sinai. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, Israel celebrated their arrival at Sinai and the giving of the law in the first fruits festival that was known as Pentecost. Pentecost was uh, a sign for the 50th day after Passover, just as our Pentecost is 50 days after the greater Passover of Jesus' death and resurrection. When the Lord came down at Mount Sinai, he came down in fire and smoke and with the sound of a trumpet that was ear-piercing so loud that Israel asked not to hear it anymore. When the Spirit came at Pentecost, he came as a rushing, mighty wind with a great noise because the upper room was a new Sinai. When the Lord came down on Mount Sinai, he spoke from the midst of the cloud. They heard a voice speaking to them and giving them commandments. And on Pentecost, in the new Sinai of the upper room, the Lord speaks again, not this time in an unmediated voice, but he speaks through his apostles, through the spirit-filled apostles, as they speak in tongues, so that everyone who's gathered in Jerusalem can hear and understand the good news of the gospel in his own language. Pentecost is a new Sinai. Pentecost fulfills what was given at Sinai, what was anticipated at Sinai. And both Pentecost and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai are concerned with the name of God. Both of them have to do with the third word, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What is a name? A name is a label that helps us distinguish one person from another. We might have people who look identical, but they have different names, and so we can name them and distinguish them by their names. But a name is not simply a label. A name is something by which it's a label by which we invoke someone. We can get someone's attention by using their name. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you see somebody drop his wallet, you can say, Sir, excuse me, hey you, but if you know his name, you can catch his catches attention much more easily. You can speak his name and he'll turn 
and look at you. As I'm looking out here over the next 20 minutes or so, I might see some people drifting off to sleep. And I bet if I said Brian (laughs) or Noel in the midst of that, they would start. They would wake up. When you hear your name, you pay attention because a name is not merely a label. It's something by which we invoke another person. It gives us power over that other person so that they pay attention to us. To give someone your name is giving them a sort of power over you. It's a kind of self-revealing act to tell someone your name. If you see someone across a room that you'd like to get to know, it helps to know their name. Then you pull out your phone, you Google them, you find out who they are. Or you introduce yourself to them the old-fashioned way, and you find out who they are by exchanging names. And they reveal themselves to you, in part by giving their names. Sometimes names are self-revealing in a more direct way. My last name is Lightheart. When people hear that in America, they hear it in English, and it sounds like a happy name. It sounds like I'm a lighthearted person. But that's not what the name means in German. It means almost the opposite of that in German. Somebody who knows German will see the name and they'll say, ah, this you have a German heritage. They'll recognize that there's a story behind it. At some point, my ancestors came from Germany and settled in the United States. My name Peter has a story behind it. My mother was an admirer of Peter Marshall, who was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate during the middle part of the 20th century. She didn't know that she was naming me. She didn't think that she was naming me by the name of a Presbyterian minister, my Lutheran mother, should have been paying closer attention and named me Philip or Martin or something much more Germanic and Lutheran. But she named me Peter because she admired Peter Marshall. My name and perhaps your name tells a story about you. It reveals something about your family's past. It reveals something about your own past and the aspirations that your parents had for you when they named you. Yahweh too has a name. In fact, Yahweh is a name. In your English Bibles, the word Yahweh is often translated with title, Lord, in all caps. If you're reading through your English Bible and you see the word Lord, that's not in all capital letters. That's not the name of Yahweh. That's just a title. That's a different word. If you see the word Lord in all capital letters, then it's behind that is the Hebrew name Yahweh. But it is a proper name. It's not a title. Lord is a title. The Lord Jesus Christ means that he is the master. He's the one who rules. But Yahweh is not a title. Yahweh is a proper name, like your proper name and like my proper name. And it serves all those functions that our proper names do. In the ancient world, you wouldn't ask somebody, do you worship God? Everybody worshiped God or many gods. You would ask, which God do you worship? You would want a name. You would want some kind of identifying marker. You might, you might worship Jupiter, but then you want which specific Jupiter? You might worship Hera, but you want to know which Hera, which city is this Hera associated with? If you asked a Jew, who do you worship? Saying God would answer no question at all. That wouldn't answer the question. Whom do you worship has to be answered with a proper name or an identifying uh, name of some sort. God, The God of scriptures is not God in general. He's the specific God who created the world, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel the God who calls himself Yahweh. When God reveals himself to Israel as Yahweh, he gives Israel a certain kind of control over him. Put, your, put control in scare quotes because we're never actually in control of God. 
But think of the difference between crying out to the heavens, hey you, somebody up there, listen to me, and using the name of the actual God who is in heaven saying Yahweh. Israel is given this name so they can invoke the living God as Yahweh, and he pays attention when they cry out to him in prayer, when they cry out to him in worship. He attends to them because that's his proper name. He's given us that power. He's given Israel that power and us that power, as it were, over him. His name discloses his character, just like your names disclose something of your character. And that name is disclosed, and the character of that name is disclosed on Mount Sinai. When Moses first meets Yahweh on Mount Sinai at the burning bush, as our Old Testament lesson indicated, the Lord reveals himself and his name to to Moses. Tell them, I am sent you. Tell them, Yahweh sent you. I am means I am God. I am the God I was. I am the God I will be. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change my plan. I'm not going to change my purpose. I made promises to Abraham. I'm going to keep those promises. I am. I am the God who will be with you. I am the God who will do all that you need me to do. The God who will be all that you need me to be. That's the God I am. And that identity, that character is summed up in the name Yahweh. Later on in the book of Exodus, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai after the golden calf incident and he intercedes before the Lord and the Lord proclaims his name before Moses. Yahweh, Yahweh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love. Yet he by no means clears the guilty. Yahweh means that our God is a God of compassion. It identifies a particular God and identifies the character of that God. The name of Yahweh discloses a history, a history with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a history that culminates, according to Exodus 20, in the Exodus. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. My name means I am that God who does that kind of thing for Israel. I'm the God who delivers Israel from slavery. Pentecost is the culmination of the unveiling of the new covenant name of Yahweh. And it serves all of those functions. The new covenant name of Yahweh, the new covenant name of God is Father, Son, and Spirit. And it is, it functions in the New Testament as a proper name, just as Yahweh does. It's not a description that you can change around to serve, uh, to conform to cultural trends. It doesn't mean origin and redeemer and the one who is with us or comforter. It means Father, Son, and Spirit. It's a proper name. And like the name Yahweh, it distinguishes the God that we worship from all the gods of the nations. Our God is the living God. When we say we believe in God in the creed, we don't simply say we believe in one God or we believe in some generic God. We believe in one God who is the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, his Son, and in the Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life. This name, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, distinguishes our God from all pretenders. The name Father, Son, and Spirit is the name by which we invoke God. It's the name in which and by which we pray and praise God. We pray to the Father in the Son. We're filled with the spirit of adoption so that we can cry out with the Son, Abba, Father. We pray to the Father in the Son and by the power of the Spirit. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus because this is the name by which God 
is invoked, the name that he pays attention to when we cry out to the heavens. This name, Father, Son, and Spirit, reveals God as an eternal communion of love and joy and fellowship. This name has a history. The name Father, Son, and Spirit, like the name Yahweh, unveils a history of God with his people. The God who is Father, who sends his Son, the Son who dies and rises again in our history, the Son who ascends to pour out his Spirit. Advent, Good Friday, Easter, and Pentecost. That's the history we celebrate throughout the church year. That's the history that we uh, that comes to a climax on this feast, this feast of Pentecost. And that history reveals the name of God. God is unveiling his inner life as Father, Son, and Spirit through that history. That's the name by which we are marked. Pentecost is the culmination of that unveiling. It shows us that God is not just a Father and a Son, but he's also the God who is Spirit. And it shows us that this God is not a God who is some distance from us. He's not a God who came in the Son and then left us. He's a God who came in the Son and left and then came back again as God the Spirit and will be with us to the end of the age as the Spirit of the Son. The God who comes at Pentecost is the God who marks us and inscribes his name on us so that we bear the name of God. The Spirit who comes at Pentecost is the Spirit who inhabits us as the name of God inhabited the temple. And we're marked by that name, the Father, Son, and Spirit, by Pentecost. That's what the third commandment is about. The third commandment is about the name of God, but it's about the name of God in a particular sense. It's about the name of God that we bear or carry, the name of God that is imposed on us, the family name of God that we share. The name Yahweh is imposed on Israel. The name Father, Son, and Spirit is imposed on you at baptism and reimposed on you every Sunday in the benediction. And the third commandment says, you have already, you bear the name, you have had the name given to you, now bear that name with the weight it deserves. We often read the third commandment as a commandment against cussing. It's about what we say. Don't use bad words is the way we mentally translate it. But the commandment actually says you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain. And the word take actually means to carry or to bear or to lift up. It does apply to speech, as we'll see in a moment, but it's broader than that. It's not simply about what we say. It's about what we do. Wherever, whatever we're doing, whether we're speaking or not, we are bearing the name of God that was placed on us. Israel bore the name of God because Yahweh bore them. He bore them out of Egypt. He bore them out of Egypt on eagles' wings. He bore their sins. And so he says, I have borne you. I'm putting my name on you. You bear my name. You're marked out by my name. He's speaking to his son Israel, and he's saying to his son Israel, you share my name. I am your father. You are my son. We have a common name. And we, too, bear the name of God, not just when we speak, but in everything that we do. The third commandment, the third word, assumes that we bear or carry the name of God. The name Father, Son, and Spirit is our identity. It's our family name. It's the clothing that we wear. It's what's inscribed on us as the name by which we are marked out in the world. But the third word specifically prohibits us from bearing that name 
lightly or emptily. And that does apply to speech. There are places in the law where we're told not to bear the name of God emptily when we're taking oaths. Don't bear the name of God falsely when you swear to something. What is an oath? What are we doing when we take an oath in the name of God? What we're doing is calling on God as a witness to the truth of what we're saying. When nobody else can can confirm what we're saying is true, God can because he knows everything. And so we call on God as witness. As God is my witness, I'm telling you the truth. When we uh, take oaths, we're uh, self-condemning. We're saying, as God is my witness, I'm telling the truth. And if I'm not telling the truth, may God bring all his curses upon me. Oaths are self-cursing in the Bible. And the third commandment speaks to that. The third commandment is about false oaths. We take the name of God lightly when we swear to things that are in fact not true. We say, say, as God is my witness, and then we tell a lie. Are you telling the truth? I swear I'm telling the truth. We're calling on God as witness, but what we're saying is false. We're treating God's name as if it were just vibrations on the air. We're treating it as if it were nothing, as if it's empty, as if it's light. We don't treat it with the weight that it deserves. So we can break the commandment, break the third commandment, when we speak God's name emptily, when we speak God's name and speak it lightly. But we can also break the third word by what we do without speaking at all. We all bear the name of the triune God. All of you who have been baptized bear that name. And if you live in a way that contradicts the identity that you have in Christ, the identity of the triune name, then you are violating the third word. We are children of the living God. If we act like children of the devil, we're breaking the third word. The Spirit has sealed us. He's written his name on us as the passage in Revelation promises. We are inscribed by God's name. And in any way that our lives contradict that name, we are breaking the third word. The biblical word for this sin is hypocrisy. It's a word that comes out of the theater. It means play acting. You take one role, but you actually are something else. You pretend to be something that you're not. And this was the besetting sin of Israel especially after the exile and into the New Testament era. This was the besetting sin of the Jews during the time of Jesus. This is what Jesus continually attacks them for. He doesn't attack them for worshiping Baal. They aren't worshiping Baal. He doesn't have to go out to Bethel and cast down a golden calf because there isn't a golden calf there anymore. It's been gone for centuries. They've formed a more subtle form of idolatry, the practical idolatry that's a violation of the third word. They bear the name Jew. They bear the name Yahweh, but their entire life is a contradiction to the name that they bear. They talk a good game, as Paul says in Romans 2. They claim to be a light to the world. They claim to be teachers of the foolish. They claim to be able to guide the blind because they have the Torah. They can do all those things, but they're hypocrites. They have the Torah, they're named as Jews, but they don't bear that name with the weight that they should give it. They preach against sexual sin, but they commit adultery 
in secret. They preach against theft, and then they defraud and cheat in the marketplace. They preach against idolatry, but they rob temples, Paul says. The Jews are guilty of this hypocrisy. The Jews fail to bear the name of Yahweh that was imposed on them at Sinai. They don't keep the law. This is not just a failure of obedience. This is a failure of Israel's mission. Israel was given the mission to bear the name of Yahweh before the nations so that the nations would see the justice and the wisdom of God's commandments. Israel would see God reflected in, uh, the nations would see God reflected in Israel's life and they would come to praise and honor and worship the God of Israel. Bearing the name of God was central to Israel's mission and they failed. And instead of evoking praise and glory from the nations, Paul says, my name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. Israel failed to bear the name of God rightly. They did not bear it with the weight it deserved and the Lord did not leave them unpunished. We too bear the name of God. A new covenant name with a fuller revelation of God's character. We all bear that name and that's part of our mission to bear that name weightily before the world to live out the identity that we've been given in our baptism. The identity we're given again in each worship service at the benediction. And if we don't live in conformity to that name, if we don't live up to the family name, there were even greater danger than Israel was, to whom much is given, much is required. To whom more is given, more is required. But the gift of the Spirit at Pentecost shouldn't lead us to fear. We haven't received a Spirit leading to fear, Paul says. In fact, we've received the opposite. Israel was given the name and failed to bear it weightily. They, they caused blasphemy to arise among the nations. Now the Spirit has inscribed the name Father, Son, and Spirit on you. But the Spirit is also the guarantee that we will bear that name well and weightily before the world. That we will fulfill the mission that the Lord has given to us. This is what Paul says at the beginning of Romans 8. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His Son, condemning sin in the flesh, so that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not in the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Bearing the name well, we could translate that into New Testament form as keep in step with the Spirit. Do not grieve the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, the Spirit who's inscribed us with the name of the triune God. And because it's the Spirit who's come, the Spirit who has inscribed us, not simply a voice from Sinai, not simply God writing on tablets of stone, but the Spirit writing on the tablets of our hearts. Because of all that, we can be certain that God's purposes will be fulfilled in us as we walk in step with the Spirit, as we keep the name and bear it well before the Lord. Sinai fulfills, I mean, Pentecost fulfills Sinai. But it's not simply a repetition of Sinai. Pentecost fulfills Sinai by surpassing Sinai, and bringing into effect what Sinai could not because the law was nullified and weakened by the flesh of Israel. 
Now the Spirit has come so that what God commanded Israel of old will be fulfilled in us and the name of God will be exalted in us. The name of God will be hallowed among us and before the nations so that the nations would join us in praising and giving glory to the God of Israel, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Father, we thank you that you have placed your name on us, the name Father, Son, and Spirit. We thank you that your Spirit dwells in us, that your Spirit is conforming us to the image of your Son, that your Spirit is enabling us to bear your name well before the world. We pray that you would keep us in step with your Spirit, keep us from grieving your Spirit, conform us by your Spirit to the image of your Son, so that the nations will see your name revealed in us, so that they will bring glory to you, so that the world be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. We pray this for the sake of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.